0: You know the psychology of these tech founders better than anyone. Do they just see themselves as misunderstood geniuses who are trying to save the world if the media would just stop attacking them? That, that's what it feels Some like to me, but Not, I don't know. No.
1: No, I would, you know, I just did a really great interview. I recommend listening with Brian Chesky at our Pivot Conference. I like Brian. And he understood. He was like, look, if you get licked up and down all day, eventually you're going to think you're Jesus, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I don't like to mix those metaphors, but you know what I'm saying. Um, he's, he, he talked a lot about this issue, about being, you know, told you were right and you surround yourself with people who agree with you violently. Like, yes, that's, hmm that Kara Swisher, she's so mean. You know, that could be whatever. If you say it over and over again. And sometimes I am mean, but not all the time.
0: <laughs> I'm John Favreau. Welcome to Offline. Hey, everyone. Before we begin, let me just say, welcome to the new feed. I'm very excited to keep these conversations going. There's so many corners of the internet we haven't covered yet. There are so many ways it affects our lives we haven't talked about yet. We have a bunch of really cool guests lined up that I can't wait for you to hear from. But we're still trying to figure it all out. So if you have a topic or guest in mind, please let us know. We love hearing from you. In fact, some of the guests and topics on previous episodes have come directly from your suggestions. So keep them coming. As for today's guest, who better to kick us off than Kara Swisher, Silicon Valley's most feared and respected journalist? Many of you know her as the host of Sway, her phenomenal podcast with The New York Times, or as the co-host of New York Magazine's Pivot. But Kara has been reporting on the internet since the AOL era, interviewing nearly every tech founder you can imagine. I could have talked to her about anything, because she's been covering this beat for far longer and better than I have. But as I've been glued to the coverage of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, I've been struck by how this is the first major war of our extremely online era which is significantly shaping how it's being waged. Kara's been talking and tweeting about this, too, so I figured we'd start there. I asked what she thought about the steps that tech companies have taken to stop the spread of Russian disinformation, the threat of cyber attacks, and how the Ukrainian people and their president are using social media to rally the world to their side. We also talked about whether humanity is meant to be connected at this scale. Her psychological assessment of the various tech founders she's interviewed, and why she's such a good interviewer. It was a fun conversation, and not just because Kara is the only person I know who's more proudly addicted to her phone than I am. As always, if you have questions, comments, complaints, or topic ideas, feel free to email us at offlineatcrooked.com. Here's Kara Swisher. Kara Swisher, welcome to Offline.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a dog's age. So long. Probably like since
0: we've been on stage together for a Pod Save America, I think.
1: Probably. That was yeah. a million years
0: ago. Yeah, oh. that was the before time. Um, I was having a hard time picking a topic to talk to you about because okay. you could wax eloquently about literally every issue we've yes, covered on the show and all the ones we haven't. Marvel um,
1: movies. That are coming. <laughs> There's 22 of them.
0: I've been thinking a lot about how um, Putin's invasion of Ukraine might be if not the first, certainly the biggest war of the very online era in which we live and how that's affecting the way it's waged. Um, And I know you and Scott Galloway uh, covered this this week on your excellent podcast pivot. So I thought maybe we'd start there. How's that sound? Sounds great. What do you make of the steps that tech companies have taken to limit the spread of Russian state-sponsored disinformation and propaganda?
1: I think they should have done it years ago. You know, I mean, this was happening in lots so many ways, uh, usually under dark of night kind of thing, cloaking. And this is so obvious. It's pretty easy for them to deal with, you know, because it's a very real situation. There's a lot of pressure here. It's a civilian population that's getting attacked. There's a lot of things where they don't look great, you know, if they continue to allow this to happen. And so I think they've moved in pretty, you know, they've tried. They've tried to demonetize um they've tried to do all kinds of things this is stuff again they could have done before um when they were doing either anti-vax or big lie information things like that and so i think what's really important to think about here is that they're capable of it now that's a good thing and a bad thing right like they're capable of it meaning they can you know i'm not a conservative person but i certainly do hear their worries about a small coterie of people being able to do enormous damage to the information systems of any country. Um, And you can see why autocrats are worried. And they also want to use these systems at the same time. So it's kind of an interesting problem is that they're they're a tool and a weapon at the same time.
0: Yeah, that was my first reaction, which is Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they're doing this now. But Mm -hmm. where have you been on a whole bunch of other issues? Because at the time, you always told us Oh, we don't hard. really have the power. We get, Tweaking an al- algorithm won't help. We can't do this. Content moderation is too difficult. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I guess when there's an invasion of a democracy by Vladimir Putin, suddenly you can uh, take action.
1: Yeah, you can. I mean, I think it is complex. Let's not be naive in the press. Right. Like, the problem is the way it's architected, it's almost impossible to to get your arms around a lot of this. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is that the architecture is rotten in that regard in terms of malevolent players being able to misuse these platforms. Uh, they're very easy to manipulate. They're very easy to use propaganda.
0: I was struck by how uh, Facebook comms chief Nick Clegg framed their actions. He said mm-hmm. they were restricting access to RT and Sputnik Based on requests from a number of governments, mm-hmm. shouldn't they be restricting access based on their own internal content standards rather than what's essentially lobbying from politicians?
1: Yes, yes, they should. They have rules. They, you know, I was just, it's interesting because I was just listening to an old interview I did at Mark Zuckerberg where he was, where he made that mistake about calling Holocaust deniers don't mean to lie. I think that's what he essentially yeah. said. And then two years later, it took them off was the distance between when he, decided it was okay and then when it wasn't okay and that's what it is it's so capricious based on mark or whoever's inside that room that decides these things but as a small group of people that decide these like they did on january 6th you can agree that donald trump should have been deplatformed. but wow it's two people that really got him mark and jack dorsey yeah um, that's that's
0: i don't know i find it worrisome i mean ukraine has also asked meta apple netflix and mm-hmm. google to restrict access to their services inside Russia in order to mm-hmm. isolate that country. How mm-hmm. do you feel about that?
1: I'm not loving it. At the same time, these are the things we apply, right? How different is that than sanctions, right? How, how, except yeah. the government doesn't control them. And so, you know, this is what you do to control societies now is you control the information. One of the, you know, the way you take over a country is you first grab the communications tower, the TV tower. The second thing you do is grab the money, you grab the this, you know. It's not all about just... Um, like heedlessly bombing civilian targets, which is so appalling on every level. It's also grabbing the ability to use propaganda. And this is why a lot of autocrats do like the internet, if they can have control of it, because they can, like in the Philippines with Duterte, et cetera, he's really used the internet to his own advantage, Um, Erdogan and Turkey and things like that. Um, But I do think, you know, they can ask, they can ask, they should ask, the government should ask, but, you know, they've also asked for a group of hackers to just go in there and make a mess of the place. Um, it's all pretty scary, especially when it comes to grids, power grids, and other things that are all it's not just the internet and people yelling at each other and and doing you know false reports and and false videos. it's all it's it's linked to a lot of much more dangerous stuff like credit cards and uh, electrical grids and important emergency power and light and gas and everything else is all on a on a computer system.
0: I know. I know you recently had uh, Nicole Perlroth, uh, a New the New York Times cybersecurity She's, reporter on or um, anything from that conversation that should worry, uh, worry Everything. us about uh, the uh, United States vulnerability to cyber attacks.
1: Yes, everything. Everything. You know, her (laughs) book is called This Is How They Tell Me the World Ends. So that will give you an idea of what Nicole is writing.
0: Not cheery, yeah. (laughs) Like
1: this? This is how it ends? Oh, I thought it was going to go in fire. Um, But it could because of these things. And so one of the issues around the United States is, look, we have an open system. We really do compared to other countries. And that's a good thing. But at the same time, it's this huge landscape to attack. It's a surface area of attack is so wide. And one of the things we're quite good at, and which we don't talk about, is the U.S. is very good at offense. You know, Stuxnet which we did with Israel, was really something else to be able to shut down those nuclear, whatever they shut down. But they did. It was a big hack that we did. And so we sort of taught other people how to do that, the US did. And we have a really good offensive capability when it comes. And we also like to like go in there and scare them a little bit and like show ourselves because then it shows we're in here. But one of the things that's a problem with a lot of the recent ones, whether it's solar winds or some others, is they're in here already they're in a lot of places. We don't, just don't know. One of the, the way Nicole described it is they might have come through the door, but now they've opened all a bunch of windows. We don't know which one and they just keep it there so they can get in at any time and um and so we don't know where they are, but they're in there. And we have such a large surface area and there's all kinds of vulnerabilities. Two-factor authentication was not a thing at this the, the one the the pipeline, the colonial pipeline. They didn't have two-factor. I have like yeah, three-factor authentication on everything. That's like your everything. most basic
0: thing, get your 2 I know, and here.
1: even that's he's not that hard to hack I from what I understand, but it's harder. And so like a lot of this stuff is everyone's left to their own devices, so to speak, to, to, to protect them. And there should be a much bigger hand by government who, by the way, has its issues. Like remember Edward Snowden? It seems like they were spying on everybody. But the government really should have much more um, – Uh, transparent role here with with corporations and everything else. It shouldn't be up to these corporations to have to deal with it. Even Google. I remember a Google executive telling me like, we are like a foreign country and they attack us every day and we're barely keeping up. And this is Google.
0: Yeah, Can you imagine if
1: you're, I don't know, a car company or or a hospital or whatever, something that's...
0: Back to your point about how this is a complicated issue for a lot of these tech companies and a lot of these Mm -hmm. social media platforms. Like, it doesn't seem like it's possible for these companies to remain neutral in the mm-hmm. now global struggle between democracy and autocracy. I think the question is, like, where do you draw the line, right? If you block RT and Sputnik, what do you do about Donald Trump's propaganda outlets, right? Like you uh, could right, make a similar yeah. case mm-hmm. for some uh, for Tucker Carlson show or One American yes, you News. Could. Or, I, I, and I, <laughs> I wonder if you're inside these companies, you know, if you're going to give them some credit yes. on this. If They're thinking, OK, well, Russia might be easy in this case because they're invading a, a country and they're murdering yeah. people. Yeah. But where I mean, do you draw the line?
1: Well, do you have to draw the line? There's one side you say, "What? Well, look, this is an incredible situation. Like, You're not going to do it all the time. Just because you do it once doesn't mean you do it other times. You could, Just because you could. We always could. Right? right? We could always do this. So that's one argument sort of for it. The other is, yeah, I had a tech executive say, why don't we just go for Fox now? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like they were joking, but like... They're like, how far is it? Because they're sort of like RT and you could look at some of their stuff. And of course, now they're dialing that back because of the brutality of what's happening because they see the impact of it. But, um, you know, it's a problem. You know, I wouldn't take Tucker Carlson offline as much as I pour him. But you could see someone making that argument. Why not?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, the the wars also made me wonder about the limits of disinformation as a weapon right Mm -hmm. there are few autocrats who've used the internet and social media to weaponize propaganda more effectively than putin Mm -hmm. and yet it's because of the images of his brutal invasion that have been all over social media that opinion has turned so harshly against him and Mm now that that includes some of his own people at this point what do you make of that is is putin losing his own information war
1: Oh yeah, that's the problem. It's so porous. He's unfortunately dealing with what he was taking advantage of before. Is it's so porous? There's lots of ways around it. And so, you know, you know, it cuts both ways. I was just talking to someone how 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 he'd forgotten how good the internet is. I think it was a conversation with Brene Brown. But like, there's a lot of good to it. There's a lot of things that are that are wonderful. And and it was when it was started, it sure had that feeling like we could connect each other. We're going to meet people. We're going to do this. We have commonality. And then. The other parts of it, you know, came in, which was the the division, what we don't like about each other, the ability to dunk on each other, et cetera, and so it cuts both ways for him. He can use it for propaganda, but there's a point where then it becomes unbelievable, and people do try to seek out other information.
0: I mean, one person who who seems to have successfully rallied public opinion during this war is uh, Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. Why why do you think his use of social media has been so effective?
1: Because he's this guy in a shirt. He looks good in it. He wears a little thing. He looks like he's under siege. He looks tired. He looks, he's like, oh, here I am trying to defend democracy with my t-shirt. You know, it's a great shirt. he's His his messages are very simple and to the point. He's got a great, I don't want to say he's got a great narrative because it's true, right? But he's definitely leaning into beleaguered, you know, it, it, it does remind one of movies like Marvel. I was joking about Marvel at the beginning, but it, It comes to mind, right? We've all been sort of trained in this area of you're going to snap your fingers and end human race, and then the Avengers are going to take over, that kind of thing. And so we have this visual, and he's been using it beautifully. He has other people on it. Like there's characters and the people – like he took that one picture with him and his defense minister after the picture of Putin and his defense ministers and the long, weird table. So he posed with his defense minister like they have their arms around each other, right next to each other. He's not scared of COVID, nor the Russians, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's um, very it's very of the people. Mm-hmm. It's also it, it it seems geared towards combating misinformation itself because yeah. if Zelensky had been inside somewhere, either in a palace or in a house, if he was all dressed up, you know, the the Russians could probably make the case that, oh, he's not really in Kyiv, he's not really mm-hmm. in Ukraine, he's actually yep. fled. And what he did is basically showed people here I am outside. You can recognize, uh, you know, Ukraine in the background. Mm-hmm. And I think he had one of his ministers like hold up the the date mm-hmm. on his phone too to it's make sure good. that. It, so really, just a smart play to sort of yeah, fight so the disinformation. Get, he's getting out
1: among people. He's being seen. He's he's going around them in some ways, and it's getting out. And uh, you know, he's addressing people. He looks like he's there with them. He looks tired. Like a whole everything he's doing is just incredibly it's memeable i hate to say that it also is admirable this is how people get news around the world right this is the bits and it's, it's it's i hate to again say it it's snackable it's very snackable what he's doing and um you know he's a he's an entertainer before so he does have some understanding of this you know performance um and a lot of politics is performance
0: I do share your hesitance in analyzing this as a performance because, like, one of the things I've been worried about is that, like, our our very online culture has distorted and even minimized how dire the situation is in Ukraine right now? And I, I saw you tweeting about um, Julia Yafi's comments on this. She's a Russian-born American journalist who writes for Puck. And she made the point that Americans love an underdog story. We love new celebrities like Zelensky, at least for a little while. But most experts, of course, believe that Russia still has the overwhelming military advantage here. Does that distorted narrative worry you? Or is it okay because Ukraine needs all the support it can get?
1: You know, I said this on, uh, I said this several times last week. I'm like, I get the story. Is it really, you know, they've managed to hold them off and that is impressive, but yeah, guess what? You know what? Like a lot of those trucks, that's a lot of trucks. And eventually this is how they've done their other wars across the world, Chechnya or anywhere. This is an old trick by the Russians. Like, let's just throw millions of people at things and, you know, deaths be damned. But I do think there is an element of having won the the persuasion war is very important. And so, Today, the tools, instead of television or radio, like the way Winston Churchill used it, are the internet. They're memes. They're visuals. There's jokes. There's information getting out. There's pointing out that the person's a liar especially around say people who had died Russians who have died i thought that text exchange was really effective like it is it just it, it, it Can you talk about that Ru- a little bit the text This exchange? is this is the Ukrainian i think i don't i forget he's the representative of the United Nations i think i can't remember i don't know what his title is yeah. he got up and read a text message between a Russian soldier and his mama like, that was my that mama, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Essentially, it could have been scripted. Like, you know, mama, well, they don't want us here. We're running them over with tanks. You know, they're jumping in front of our – it's like literally a Hollywood screenwriter. couldn't have written it any better. And so, you know, it really – it tugs at the heartstrings of a lot of parents in Russia and mothers and – um, and that these soldiers do not want to be here killing these people. And he read it at the and it was like, oh, whoa, that you don't look good in that. And so, there, what can Russia say? Like, what, what, what kind of meme could they do? Could you know? There is none. Like, yes, we're the oppressors. We're like the Nazi thing's not working as they bomb Holocaust memorials. Well done, Russia. Um, I mean, just terrible. Like, I'm like, what, please, what are you doing? Like, what are you going to like squash puppies next? That kind of thing. And so. They don't have a they don't have a a, a persuasion element. And, you know, war is is about brutality and killing and everything else. But it's also about persuasion and getting people putting either fear into them or hope. Right. And I think Ukraine has done the hope part really well. Um, We're still here. We're still here.
0: Yeah. Well, at the very least, I think it gives them a chance because, you know, it's hard to do a counterfactual, but if you didn't have Zelensky on social media all the time, if you didn't have Mm -hmm. this sort of campaign from the Ukrainians to sort of rally the world to their side, you could imagine Putin sort of rolling in, and maybe you don't have the uh, alliance that you have right, with all these countries around the world. Maybe you don't have the global public support, and they could, you know, the Russians could still defeat them anyway. But they probably think to themselves, it'll, it gives them a fighting chance. You know, they've
1: been hurt badly in the in the in the persuasion area, and I, especially among young people who do pay attention to this stuff. It's also been very, um, it's not been organized either. It's sort of just been well done. The couple that married, and then now they have guns, like posing yeah. adorably. I was, you know, what I mean with guns. Not so adorable, but nonetheless, they need the guns. You know, there's visuals everywhere. Everyone's got a cell phone, and so there. You know, the Russian tanks coming in, and people, average citizens, holding like plastic bags of like water, like get out of here. You know, that's effective. Like the broken Russian tanks across the the landscape is effective. It's not just bombs anymore. It's like visuals all over the place, and I think um, there's been. You know, people, the kids downstairs in the subway, right? Yeah. You know, just every visual that comes out is pro-Ukraine and anti-Russian. And how could they have done this? And I think that's it's the first internet-enabled war. And I I do think it does have advantage. And it also creates a population that is not going to roll over even if they get rolled over. This is going to be a real problem for Russia forever. You can't quash this down. You can't. You no, it's ha- it's hard
0: to put this back in the box.
1: And at home, at home, that's where the real damage is. They're trying to arrest everyone. Can you arrest everybody? I, you could try. Yeah, it's not well, a great situation to be in for them.
0: Well, and even if they, if even if he captures Kyiv, can he hold the country? Is the question? He looks right. like an idiot. He looks yeah. old. <laughs> he
1: looks brutal, old, and
0: problem with this madman uh, is that he's got nuclear weapons, which is not, that is uh, correct, which, which means we ideal. can't.
1: <laughs> Which is problematic? Uh, interesting on the internet, someone was like, "Why don't we go in there and just bomb them like
0: nuclear war?" That's another. The uh, you're being a Congress- wimp,
1: Kara. I'm like, no.
0: The online conversation about nuclear weapons and suddenly we got like fucking, you know, 500 nuclear experts just talking casually about uh, global annihilation. The most accurate and darkly funny thing I've seen is from. There's been great
1: experts, though. Have you liked that? I've found this has been very it's it's a little better than COVID because these people are actually, you know, some Harvard experts. Oh, well, you
0: got some of them.
1: Yeah, some. Oh, of them yeah, are some are of them
0: are experts. Then you got people chair. just popping off who don't know what the fuck <laughs> you're yeah, talking yeah. about. Well, let um, me
1: tell you about geothermal pulses. I'm like, no.
0: This Yale Law Professor Scott Shapiro uh, tweeted mm-hmm. this week: "The five minutes that the ICBMs are in the air will be unbearable on this platform."
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: oh, <my God. laughs> Honestly, like some of the conversation, that's what oh. it was making me think of. And I, look, I people are. Oh my god! I, that's I, part of the problem here. Part of the problem here is, you know, I saw someone. Uh, there was a an MSNBC. Uh, another image of, like, very young people in Ukraine just mm-hmm. holding weapons. And they mm-hmm. tweeted, like, you love to see it, hashtag Ukraine. And I was like, oh, my God. It's just, like, it, it gets a little much. I think the reason people do that and tweet that stuff is, mm-hmm. like, they want to help. And and mm-hmm. the challenge with war in the era of social media is social media gives us this sense of proximity and immediacy and urgency mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily give us more agency no, to none. solve the problem. So we we can see the tragedy, but we can't do anything about the tragedy. So we try to do all these a little more performative things, you know, where right. we're tweeting hashtags and doing this right? And all this other silly right? stuff, Wasn't
1: you know? it hashtag on SNL many years ago? Yeah. I'm going to write a tweet right now, that kind of thing. <laughs> Although it does have influence. I think it does. It creates, you know, I always thought the the idea of the internet was the world talking to each other. And that's what's happening. The world is talking to each other in some ways, not everywhere and always, but people are talking to each other. And often it degenerates into terribleness, like over COVID, that certainly took a bad turn. This happens to be a hopeful narrative, right? And most yeah. Americans, at least, or most people in democracies are like, that's our people, right? Ukrainians are our people. And- and they're adorable. And the Russians, you know, and of course, we've been conditioned by years. And I'm not going Tucker Carlson on you. But we have been conditioned by years of imagery of Russians on Bond movies or anywhere. You know, they're always up to something awful. Um, yeah. And often they are, by the way, FYI. Um, And so, you know, I think we it's a very easy narrative for people to fall into this yeah, narrative. It's a
0: historical it, it, stereotype for sure. It is.
1: It is. It's longer than just it's not a meme that's doing this. This is deep in our, the bones of the United States is a Russian competition, even if it was a 50 years ago, even if it was, you know, Cuban miss, it's still the Cuban Missile Crisis with these people. And so, um, so we'll see. But what's interesting is that tech is, is, is targeting the Russian people, right? And separating Putin from them. And that hasn't happened quite as much as it's happening right now.
0: Although I wonder, I wonder that's what explains some of the age gap in like a lot of the Russians who are protesting right now are younger Russians who I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, there's are definitely social media all the time, and the older yeah. Russians are maybe home watching RT, and that's. Yeah, you know,
1: it's like a Fox News problem. Yeah, like, no, gonna we, say, that it's going to that we happen to have in this country. You know, yep. I always joke about my mom, but you've got a population, older population, who consumes endless propaganda, and eventually the repetition. You know, if anyone who studies. Propaganda is repetition, reinforcement, repetition, reinforcement. And the Internet allows you to do that quite a bit. Uh, but c- cable works, Fox News works, especially on an elderly population that doesn't go, doesn't have other means of information. Young people are like, no, I have this over here. The problem is a lot of them go into conspiracy theory. You know, they're all equal on these platforms.
0: So uh, I want to talk a little bit more about your point that the Internet is – Everyone talking to each other. I mean, in general, just beyond what's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine right now, you know, the running thesis of, of, of this show has been that social media is is breaking our brains. Yes. To what extent do you think that's, <laughs> that's true? Been my and
1: running how- thesis, as you know, <laughs> well, finally said, people are listening to my theories from many years
0: ago. I know you've you've been on this for a while. How much do you think <laughs> it is the fault of the platform design versus human nature?
1: Well, it's both, right? It's designed. Mm-hmm for human bad parts of human nature i think um you know humans have been doing the same thing it's it's not like you know some of us murder some of us don't we try to follow rules some of us don't like you know this is not new fresh things that's happening that's that's the argument these platforms have you know we're not unlike tv i'm like you're unlike a billboard i can tell you that everyone sees a billboard we see it in plain sight we all react to it, right? It's not hidden. There's The message is right there. TV, same way. We all see broadcasts, right? This is like tiny little broadcasts going to each individual. It's a, someone once told me it's a million lies going to a million heads, all different. Huh. So that's different. The very first column I wrote for the New York Times, and I think it's probably my best one, I should probably retire right after it, but was talking about that it weaponizes and amplifies. And I call them the arms dealers of the digital age. That's what they are. They give everyone lots of guns. And so- when you put lots of guns in people's hands, people die, right? And so that was the, the way they've designed it. The initial like let me take apart something. Google, for example, Google search. You don't feel like that's a revolutionary tool at all because like it's it's fat, it, it it goes for speed for sure. No matter what, they all go for speed. It goes for accuracy and it goes for context. And so when you search, I've used this example before, the ADL. On Google, you find ADL. You don't find other things. You may if you keep looking, but you find the the website for the ADL, news stories about this is the Anti-Defamation League. Um, You find the right links, right? When you search it on YouTube, uh, this is what happened to me. It was all anti-Semitic stuff immediately when you searched ADL. And so I remember calling the head of YouTube. I'm like, hey, I hear you're owned by this search service who's very accurate, (laughs) you know, and why am I getting this on your thing, when I get the correct stuff, you know, it switched from accuracy, context, and speed to speed, engagement, and virality. Now, when you design for those things, guess what you're going to get? All the crap. All the crap comes sliding down. You don't get the accurate things, you get the immediate things. And so, Facebook is designed that way, right? And it yeah. also keeps people apart. It keeps, you know, so you don't see what's happening over here. So you don't know what's going on over here in these other rooms kind of thing, unless you get in them. And you also get dragged into rooms. I said this years ago, like my son was listening to something. Um, and then he, I think Ben Shapiro just want to see what he was like. I was like, don't waste your time. But okay, fine. I, I let my kids do it.
0: Give it a whirl. Yeah.
1: Whatever. Give it a whirl. And and then he got to other things. And then other things. It was really. I was watching. I was like, Whoa, that's a, how did that happen? And of course, Ben Shapiro wrote something. Like, uh, uh, Kara, it's hates me. I'm like, Well, I do hate your work, but uh, I think you're allowed. You know, whatever you are, I don't care. I don't care. I don't even care anymore. But <laughs> at the time, ben and he was Shapiro. like, She doesn't let my son likes me. I'm like, No, he doesn't like you. He thinks you're a toad. But you know, I, I let him watch it. Like I kind of not think. Of course, he's going to write something now after this. So because he always does. Um, So I I was interested in how it moved from thing to thing, because that's the way it went. That's that's the way the river flowed down to a toxic thing. And they've they've tried to work on those things. But it's it's designed for virality, engagement and speed. And, you know, if, if you were talking about a car and drinking, you'd know what would happen. Every time, you know, kind of thing, if you think about it, if you put it in real terms. And so that's the problem, is the design is meant to – it's the other thing it's meant to do is addict. You know, it's an addictive – they have addictive qualities. Everybody gets that. There's no question. So it's addictive. And now through the pandemic, it's necessary. You can't not be online, right? And it's also for entertainment. So it's addictive and necessary. And it's designed to engage you and enrage you. I just – it's it, – all the good uses of it, and of which there are many, and and should be mostly, are out the window when you have that stuff. It's like having Twinkies in front of you and a and a plate of broccoli.
0: I talked to Charlie Warzel about this, uh, yeah, who great. writes for The Atlantic. And his point was, he's like, you know, I've been looking at this for many years now, and I just think that human beings shouldn't be connected on this scale. And then, you know, I talked to Alex Stamos, who I know you've talked to many times, um, and Alex sort of pushed back. Uh, on me like he has with you at the same point where he's like people think that you can just tweak the algorithm and we're going to fix humanity's problems and that's it's not as easy as that even though if you identify some of this this bad Mm -hmm. stuff it's just really hard to design connection on this scale is basically the point that both of them made that is going to not cause the problems we're seeing now. What do you think about that? I
1: think Alex is correct in that humans are the way they are, but there are things to mitigate that, right? There's always been mitigations in life, you know, or else we'd have the purge all the time. Remember, we had the Wild West. It was wild. Most people got killed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) then we put in laws and then we put in stop signs and then mitigation. There's nothing wrong with mitigation to pull back um, any kind of human impulse to murder, for example right? Like literally. Like that, that yeah. when they make that argument I'm like, well we've got lots of laws in place, you know. And I think I compared it to having a meat factory and saying some of this is going to kill you. Some of it's delicious. Like, but you know, you like meat, like <laughs> you know, you humans. And so yeah. I, I was like, well we have laws or and they're not perfect by any stretch they mentioned, but they create, you know, they create guardrails. I think but I think Alex is correct that humans suck. Okay. But we tend to um, do something about it. We tend to try to stop them from doing that, um, and we tend to try to educate people and meet people. and And they're doing none of that. They 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 preside. I've used this metaphor so many times. They own a city. Which the, the key part to me that Alex leaves out is they get all the money, right? Right. Of they course. they make money from it, and not a little bit of money. They're the richest people on earth. Their companies are the most about it. the ten top companies are tech companies except for Saudi Aramco, I believe. It changes, but it's mostly tech companies, the 10 top richest people, except for one or two people are all tech people, right? Always, have been for a while now, five years. Um, so they have all the money, they get all the rent, and they don't provide stop signs, water, police, firemen. Talk about defund the police. They, <laughs> yeah. they defunded the police a long time ago on, online, so they didn't fund it.
0: You know the psychology of these tech founders better than anyone. Do they just see themselves as misunderstood geniuses who are trying to save the world if the media would just stop attacking them? That's that's what it feels Some like to them. me, but Not, I don't know. No.
1: No, I would, you know, I just did a really great interview. I recommend listening with Brian Chesky at our Pivot Conference. I like Brian. And he understood. He was like, look, if you get licked up and down all day, eventually you're going to think you're Jesus, right? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I I don't like to mix those metaphors, but you know what I'm saying. Um, he, He talked a lot about this issue, about being you know, told you were right. And you surround yourself with people who agree with you violently. Like, yes, that's, mm-hmm, those that Kara Swisher, she's so mean. You know, that could be whatever. If you say it over and over again. And sometimes I am mean, but not all the time. Um, and so, <laughs> um, so, so they get around people who are like-minded people. I think that's one of the issues. Now, not all of them are not aware of this. I would not say that. I would say, you know, I think I think Tim Cook will disagree with you about some things you might argue with him about, but he will talk to you about it. Like, and he does not seem to pretend it does, it's not a problem. Or He sees
0: the downsides and the of dangers. Of course,
1: of course. He's an adult. You know what I mean? He sees the problem. He was one of the first to identify. Mark Benioff is another one who runs Salesforce. Uh, very much. He's the first person who compared it in an interview I did with him to cigarette companies, social media to cigarette companies, which I, I didn't think it was quite right, but I, it was more like um, – Drug companies, I think, in some way, more than cigarettes. But it was interesting. And to see him turn on tech people was interesting. You know, the CEO of Stripe, a very powerful company. Jack Dorsey is quite – I wouldn't say he's overly sensitive. I think, you know, the beard and the – the chanting thing is interesting, but that's so what? <laughs> so what? So what? I don't care. You know? Just the way I don't care if Mark Zuckerberg hydrofoils, whatever the fuck that is. Like, people all were like, oh, look at that. I'm like, what do you care? Let him do it. It looks fun. Yeah. Um, We've got enough, th- know, th-
0: we had enough things to criticize Mark Zuckerberg about.
1: You know, I think Microsoft has come a long way from Bill Gates being the most obstreperous person on the planet to today. Satya Nadella is a very enlightened, I think, CEO in many ways. Um, uh, Sundar Pichai, though Google has some very big blind spots, certainly is reflective like they're not all like this i think what we have is we've got mark zuckerberg who feels like a robot who happens to be a very earnest person who literally is weighing over his head on big issues right and mm-hmm. doesn't seem to want to give up the power that he has he won't he won't give up the power he loves power and so there's him and then you have elon musk who's like a walking talking cartoon of a tech mogul right and yep. he, whatever crazy thing he's going to pull off brilliant guy um, very funny, um, completely deluded sometimes, and completely visionary other times. I mean, like I always say, someone's like, oh, "I can't believe him. I'm like hey, Thomas Edison was an asshole." FYI, just he just didn't have Twitter, right? If Thomas Edison had Twitter, he would have used it. Um,
0: Elon you know. strikes me as someone who's like, you know what? I'm this smart. I can be an asshole. Like it feels like that's he's his sort of the, like that, oh, I'm a know, genius, so I, you can you can deal with nice me being an him. asshole. Him.
1: He's sometimes an ass. I think he shouldn't do those dumb tweets. Like, uh, okay, whatever. Like, oh, you honestly. That forever.
0: You could say that for like 90% of the people. He's tweet, really you know. bad. He really is
1: bad. <laughs> and then he gets other people try to be mini Elons and they suck at it kind of thing. Um, but I think like he's an interesting character because a lot of our inventors were like him, right? Like the visionary, the people we considered it were, we just didn't see it, right? Um it, by comparison, Steve Jobs looks like a statesman, right? if you, yeah. and he was he was a really interesting fellow, probably got a lot more attacked for being heartless. I thought he was full of heart uh, i that was my experience with him is you know, he was a flawed person. We expect these people to be gods. that's the problem, and they're people, and they're flawed, and they've got in Steve Jobs' case, he was adopted was had some anger towards his origin his parents, his biological parents, had all kinds of you know problems right and we don't ever imagine that that's the case mark came from a you know a nice suburb of chappaqua new york has a very nice family by the way um and uh, his father's a dentist but definitely has some thing going on there some power issues right yeah anyone whose hero is augustus caesar you have to go "Mm, interesting (laughs) I'm like you're sort of like augustus caesar okay all right all right
0: no that's true it's true the 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 Personalities of uh, rich and powerful people are can sometimes be as diverse as anyone Absolutely. else. Absolutely, <laughs> and Bezos is a whole other. Yeah.
1: He's a whole nother kitty cat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> here's a guy who also adopted. interestingly Larry Ellison also had problems with his mom and lived with his aunt. I think. I believe that's what happened. um I like to look at their backgrounds. I I spent some time with Travis Kalanick's parents and their their split level home, very modest home, oh, wow. um, in the suburbs of Los Angeles. Um, in the deep suburbs of Los Angeles, so they're all different i mean and and Jeff is another visionary who also he's changed a lot, but he's you know it's just we put so much stock in these human beings as the solver of problems that when so when they create problems, we wonder how that happened, and it must be our fault when it's in fact theirs,
0: yeah, so I have um, admired your interview skills for a long time. Thank you. I've been slightly terrified of them when I'm the mm-hmm. target of the questioning. Oh come but, on! I was, it was just <laughs> me and been, John. You've, you've it's just me and very, John
1: arguing with each other. Yeah, no, that's. It's,
0: I always do it with love. You two, there two to make sat sure there while yeah. well,
1: we just are the gays arguing yeah, with each makes other. Yeah, feel very yeah.
0: safe. Yeah. Um, I am even in in more awe of you now that uh, I have an interview show of my own. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about your approach? Like, how do you get powerful people to go beyond talking points?
1: One of the things, as I point out, that they're doing talking points out loud. Okay. You know, one of the things yeah. I do is, real, is interesting. I, like, broke no nonsense. I think I come across that way. I'm like, let's just stop. Like, let's go fast forward to where we want to talk about, or we can do this thing, and then I'll tell you you're an idiot, and then we'll move to that. <laughs> like, I, I sort of am like, let's dispense with this. And someone, you you work for Obama, right? You had a yep. big job in Obama, right? So, you know, he was an interesting character to interview because – um you know, presidents, no matter how you slice, I think a lot about who, where they're coming from. When you're a president, you talk and everybody listens, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody to interrupts, right? You never get interrupted for like eight years. It must right. be fantastic. And, uh, and I, I noticed one thing he did was he talked in big paragraphs, right? Which and is so,
0: what he does, yeah.
1: Right, and it's a lot of words, it's like a, <laughs> a word lot salad. That's how a he lot. writes.
0: He writes, much, he much he'll write which... a whole paragraph and use only semicolons. You can't find right. a period anyway.
1: Exactly. And so I was like, wow, this guy talks in paragraph, and he gets to say whatever he wants all the time, and no one interrupts him. This is going to be a problem. And they cut my time for the interview that I had, and, and I was like kind of pissed. I'm like, oh, great. Talkie and me are going to have to have a problem here. I have five <laughs> less minutes. and so it was not him in particular, but he's he's a particular paragraph talker. And I was trying to figure out what motivated him to actually answer a question. And I realized anger did a little bit. He doesn't like to get angry, right? He yeah. really tries to avoid it. And I thought, oh, I think I'll just irritate him into an answer. And so um, there were two things I did is right before the interview, you, know, you sit really close together. He's in a red chair. I said, listen, my time has been cut, and you talk in paragraphs, and it's exhausting to listen to. I said, so I'm going to interrupt you, and it's probably not something you're used to because, you know, everyone bows down to you because you're president. But I'm going to interrupt you, and I hope that doesn't bother you, but it's going to, just so you know. (laughs) And so – and he looked at me, he said, I heard you were obnoxious. I go, I am. And then we began. It was That's like, a, so but funny. what it did was it got an earworm into his head, right? Like, oh God, she thinks I'm talky, right? And he knows it's true. So, because yeah. it is, it's, I wasn't telling him a non-fact. Um, and it's like telling someone, oh, you know, you touch your nose a lot or something or whatever, you know, whatever you happen to do. And it has to be true. And he he answered much shorter one which was great and then the second thing was he was he was talking about at the time apple was uh, not giving up the phone stuff wasn't doing the back door that james comey wanted uh, encryption and obama had been on the apple side when he was campaigning and then he you know, he became president. He's like, wait a minute, we and need he's, this. Then he
0: saw all the classified info. And right, all the exactly. Yeah, that's right. I know
1: that happens. That's what drove Dick Cheney to madness, right? Mm. Like, I've seen the unregulated. I'm like, some of that's lies, you know, Dick, just so <laughs> you know. And it's what a group of people give you to make you do something. But okay. So he then changed. And I, that's fine. That's fine. And so I said, well, you've changed. And he said, no, I haven't. And I'm like, no, no, you have. I said, I, I, I have an idea why you have, because you've seen intelligence reports, and I bet it's scary. That world is scary. And he's like, I haven't changed my opinion at all. And I said, well, let me read you what you said on the campaign trail, and let me read you what you're saying now. And it irritated him. Like, you know what I mean? And I, I, w- I wasn't meaning to catch him, but it was an interesting thing where I actually had the thing. I'm like, you said it. I'm not trying to catch you. I just want to know. I actually was more interested in what happened. What occurred that made you change your mind, which I think was an interesting line of questioning? He found it probably hostile. I don't know, but I think it elicited a really good answer from him. He then had a really good answer, and so sometimes with some people you want to you have to figure out what the what the motivating force is like one of the biggest lessons I learned in interviewing was not when you're a reporter, and I was a reporter reporter for a long time. I used to think people lie to me, what are they lying to me about in this statement that they're saying? And then I got a little more sophisticated and thought, what are they lying to themselves about to get through the day, right? What is their thing? So I do that. I think about that a lot. And then lastly, I point out the obvious that everyone's talking about, that reporters are too polite, either reporters are too polite because they want to be their friends, or they want to hang out with them, or they're in awe of them, or something like that. And I point out what everyone's talking about, like, and I say it out loud. And so like, I did a really good interview with Jon Stewart yesterday. And so I'm like, so some people think this might not be relevant. And he's like, who? I go, come on, John, you've read all the things. Like, but then he talked about it, like trying to be relevant and leaving the, the thing. And it turned into a wonderful discussion. Same thing with the Joe Rogan thing. What happened yeah. here? Like people are too scared to ask him. Like he's going to bite their head off. I was like, what did you actually say? What did you actually mean? What happened? And then he took it apart and explained what happened. Great conversation, right? Mm. I think they're dying. They're waiting for you to ask that question. I just do it right at the top.
0: That's interesting.
1: Like you know what I mean? Some people. I don't even do this. Some people say like Trump. I. I'm like I observe that you are, you know. Yeah, don't I even straight, don't even give
0: them the straw man of the. Some no, people,
1: I the don't. Idea. I don't. I just come right at them. I think you are a threat to humanity. <laughs> Let's mark that. Uh, prove me wrong, like that kind of thing. And sometimes this is the last thing I don't say anything. Like I often like y- you have to use pauses because they're going to say something. And I think one of my problems, my first reporter is jumping in when I was doing it at first. The best moment I think I ever did in an interview was with Zuckerberg, actually. I was talking about Alex Jones, and I went in hot with that one. I'm like, this guy is a menace, and he's broken every one of your rules dozens of times. Why don't you kick him off? Why do you have the rules in the first place? I started arguing with him. I'm like, either don't have the rules, don't pretend you have the rules, but kick him off if he breaks the rules. And don't go give me a speech about First Amendment. Why do you have the rules then? Like, don't have the rules. Like, so we went back and forth and back and forth. And then he says, which was interesting, and I can't believe he did. I'm sure he was media coach to do this, which was a mistake. And he says, let's move the topic to the Holocaust deniers. And, went, <laughs> and, I, and I I literally was like, oh, all right then. And he did it because he's Jewish. I know why he did it. Because I'm sure some genius, I know who it was, actually someone I like very much, said, go to Holocaust, say, I'm a Jew, and I tolerate these things. That's what he was doing, right? Like, nobody likes Holocaust deniers, no matter what. I mean, some people do, unfortunately. So um,
0: That's never your life raft, you know? No, exactly. (laughs) But he
1: did, and I was like, oh, God. Oh, you know, okay. All right, we'll go to Holocaust So I went, okay, all right. So he goes, like, for example, Holocaust deniers don't mean to lie. That's what he said, right? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And I could have gone you fucking idiot. Of course they do. You that's their me. job. Yeah, right. Are you fucking kidding me? And that was my instinct was like, and I, I was trying to hide it behind my eyes. Like, <laughs> oh my God, did he just say that? And instead of saying, you fucking idiot, of course they do. I went, huh, interesting. I don't think that's true, but please go on. And I said, <laughs> go on. I said, please illuminate me of this particular, because I wanted people to hear him thinking out loud. And so he did, and he stepped right into it, right? And so, of course, it became a huge problem and it went all over the place, and then he had to backtrack and this and that. And what was really interesting about that is I got it, and the guy recording it got it. Both of us were like, Here it what is. did he just do? There it is. And it wasn't trying to catch him, and I, did, I let him go on. That's the thing. I wasn't doing a gotcha thing or making them say something that's revealing in one sentence. I gave him so much space— And so much ability – and I do that with a lot of people. I let them go on. And I think if you let people talk, that is the most illuminating thing because you get a real insight to their thinking versus anything else. So not talking has – Worked out really well for me recently.
0: That would that would work on me because there is an element of like you start getting nervous at just the mm-hmm. dead space, and the space. then you you've given your answer already. That's your messagey answer that you're supposed to give, and then you're like, "Well, I got to keep talking. I got to fill the space because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. now I'm mm-hmm. just." getting anxious, I don't think so you have that
1: good. much to reveal, John. Do you? <laughs> no, no.
0: I'm some yeah, secret, like, some secret crypt
1: much. full of like you know <laughs> cats or something. I don't think you have something to reveal. But pe- some people do, and they. By the way, people want to tell the truth. They do yeah, honestly. They do. It's like everyone's a Robert. They want Durst. Unbur-
0: People want to unburden themselves at some point.
1: You know, Marka Andreessen, who I also don't talk to anymore, um, once said it was Stockholm syndrome with me. Like, they don't know why they say things; they just have to. That's I don't know funny. what it is. I know.
0: That's funny. Do you? Um, you still want to run for mayor of San Francisco someday?
1: No. Well, maybe when I'm seventy. I don't know. I just had. Why two did more you? Kids. Why did you
0: ever think about it? What? What made you want it?
1: Because I thought I complained a lot and I wasn't doing anything about it. And I think, you know, I wasn't inspired by Trump, but, you know, I don't know. There used to be citizen politicians, right? And professional politicians drove me crazy. And I sat around like everyone else and "Ah, that guy, that guy. And I thought, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. Like, if I really care about my kids, uh, at the time I had two, um, I should get in there and, like, try to solve problems. And so I think that was it. And San Francisco was, you could see where it was going with the homelessness, and stuff, and I had points of view on how to solve it. I had interviewed a lot of people about it. I didn't think I could solve it. There was no, there's no solving that very terrible problem, really. But there's a way to mitigate the things and make it a livable city. And I remember thinking, every single person on on the in the in the stack, homeowners and renters and people who live, pe- workers who live in the city, the homeless themselves, the city workers everybody is suffering right you know yeah. and we can't like decide it's homeless versus people right and what I did is I started walking around San Francisco and I thought I you start to hate people you do you're like oh my god what you're ruining my beautiful city and you start to dehumanize them very easily right and I remember doing that and I thought look at every one of these people like they're a little kid like I had you know like they came from somewhere this wasn't where they wanted to end up this is you know very few people are at their heart evil or bad or you know what i mean yep. like things happen to people and and i thought i got to do something about it i think that's what motivated the homelessness issue at the time and it's worse now was really um it's it was sad it was it was people living on the streets it's bad for everybody everybody oh, of course uh, you know and you can't and people were setting up these homeowners versus home i'm like no it's that's not what it's and that that's what i was hating about it was that it was a it was a much bigger problem that everyone needed to give a little bit like stone soup and so mm. i thought You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in here because I also knew the tech people, and I could push, not push them around, but I could. Like, there was either too much niceness to them, or not enough, you know, or too meanness. Like, it was either snarky, and I think I correct had my career where people do think I'm fair, right? Even if I'm tough, I'm fair, and I thought that I could carry that. Then I, I, I I got married again, had two more children, and so I, (laughs) I had two children during the pandemic, and so it doesn't i I had one during the pandemic yeah it's a lot Uh, yeah child during the
0: pandemic's a lot
1: it is and so it's uh it was uh too much i have a different life so and i had to come move back here because of the pandemic my my older uh children were still in high school one is still in high school and um and so i wanted to be near them and that was i had to move i'm moving i want to move back to san francisco but we'll see i think it's important for people to serve i do yeah, I um, do, do too. You? All right, so do when the you? kids
0: are all grown up and you're back in San Francisco, then maybe we get a run.
1: Yeah, I'll be like that eighty year old mayor. Oh, isn't she? Didn't she? A, yeah,
0: look at the people running. Pistol. the pistol. It's fine. She, I want them <laughs> to say
1: she's a pistol. That mayor of she's hundred years that old. That she's, uh, she's not uh, taking any names. I don't give a. Th- that would be my my thing. I don't give a fuck.
0: Don't give a, a fuck. I love that. Don't, That's a great mom. Would you motto. be my? Would great you run
1: campaign? Man, do you want to? I'm uh, in. No, same thing as you.
0: Because I I've thought about it many times in life, and then once you have a family, once you have a kid, you're sort of like oh, I'm going to do this to them. I'm going to do yeah. this to my, my immediate family, my extended family. I, like, you know, it's not even mm-hmm. like a skeletons in your closet kind of thing. It's like yeah. things that you say that you mean to say.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: Like right. I'm someone who's tweeted now for, for oh, five yeah. years, oh, six tweets. years, right? Oh, I have a yeah. podcast where I say all kinds of crazy do you shit.
1: you know what I'd say? I'm like, I don't care. That's, that's why if you're 80, if you're 80 year old lesbian, you can do that. You're like, yeah, I said it. So what?
0: Yeah, see, there you go. Fuck you. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> Last question that I'm sure our listeners sure. want to know: What does Kara Swisher do to unplug, and how often Nothing. do you get to do it?
1: Never, never, you never, never unplug. No, I unplug from the internet, or yeah, general? like
0: like you have your your <sighs> phone's not with you. You're no. just you know, best relationship
1: just. I ever had. <laughs>
0: You know it's, what? I, I respect the hell out of that answer. Why would I not An like my phone? The answer. world
1: is in there. All my friends, everything's in there. <laughs> All the answers. It's no, why would I? It's my. It's my thing. I love the. I had. I was holding a a a, a BlackBerry, a small BlackBerry, when my son was born. So let me just give you that piece of information and you should understand. (laughs) Never. I don't unplug. I don't, I don't stop. I can't, I can't, I don't. Now I have two more children. I got to make some bank. I got to make the cabbage now. So, you know, I will
0: say that is funny. I remember being at Cedars when uh, Emily was giving birth and I was like, holding my phone I'm like you know what the service in this room is not great and I do not know if I can refresh Twitter I think that's a problem
1: yes oh my god I did this thing I just did it this time with Amanda just we had our second child then Solomon a boy we have Clara who's a little girl she's two and um and I was talk. I was about to interview Emily Radachowski Ratichou- Rat- 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 who's great he wrote a really interesting book a lot about digital stuff mm-hmm. and I was like look at this about her look at her tweet and Amanda's like what the fuck <laughs> I was like in that voice, and I was like, "Oh my god, I suck!" But I really want to pick it up. <laughs> like it was, she's That's like good. I hate Emily, and I'm like, "No, you'd like her." She's really. She's like, "Put the phone down."
0: <laughs> I appreciate an unapologetic addict. Oh, of, well. uh, of being I know. love it. Uh, Kara welcome. Swisher, thank you so much for joining. Thank offline Thank you this so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Offline is a Crooked Media production. It's written and hosted by me, John Favre. It's produced by Andy Gardner-Bernstein and Austin Fisher. Andrew Chadwick is our audio editor. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineered the show. Jordan Katz and Kenny Siegel take care of our music. Thanks to Tanya Somanator, Michael Martinez, Ari Schwartz, Madison Hallman, and Sandy Girard for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Narmel Elkonian, and Amelia Montooth, who film and share our episodes as videos every week.